History is strange, it's alien, and it won't give us what we would like to have. We're glad to have back Dave Does History on Bill Mick Live. Dave Bowman, how are you, my friend? I'm a little tired, but otherwise I'm all right. I can imagine that you are. How many miles total? 7,000 what? Yeah, it was 7,394, right at, right at 7,400 miles. Wow. And you don't just enjoy reading about history. You go and explore it while you're on vacation. Yeah, I uh, I got out of the we we got off the highways and we went and saw a lot of things, uh, including dinosaurs. Including dinosaurs, uh, I have a fascination with dinosaurs, as most people know. But but yeah, uh, we saw that. I think uh, one of the coolest parts for me was getting to go to Hamburg, South Carolina, uh, uh-huh. which is something we've talked about on the show uh, back in 2020. And I finally actually got to go there. When I get to finally talk about that, hopefully later this week. I actually met a guy there that had a just an absolutely enthralling story. Uh, I don't know if it's true or not. That's the problem is I can't prove it, but it was a great story. Well, how, how much of, of – and you've talked this before – how much history that's passed down verbally is myth mixed in with or or misremembered things, but yet they can be compelling stories, yeah. Yeah, and it, it was a story that really fit the site. And if you missed that, uh, if you go back to the 1876 series on my website, it's the very first episode about what happened there. And to Links actually stand to the there. Dave yeah. at BillMick.com for you today as well. And uh, Dave, we, we're talking about the forming of the country and putting the Constitution together over our last several Dave Does Histories here. And what I got from the notes you sent me this morning is that the United States, not so united to begin with. And that's kind of the premise where we're at today. You know, we have this myth that I don't know if it's even a myth, Bill. It it may just be a taking for granted that somehow or another the Constitution was easy. It was simple, almost divinely inspired. It was none of those things. It was a flat-out, almost a barroom brawl at times to get this Constitution made. Remember, 55 men went to the to the convention. Only 39 signed it, saying, and, and Washington's words were, it isn't perfect, but it's the best we can do. And there were a lot of people who believed at the time that it was more likely that we would end up in another combat situation fighting each other then we would actually be able to form a government it was it was not something that was simple it was not something that was easy and i'm not sure where this mindset comes from back in 2010ish remember the tea party and and the sure. meetings we would go to yeah and and the thing i would hear over and over again was we have to get back to the values of the framers we have to we have to get back to the ideas that they had and I would look at people and I would say, really? Wh- which framer specifically do you mean? Because if you're going to tell me that 55 men sat in that room in Philadelphia in that hot, hot summer, right next door to the to the city jail, 
um, <laughs> agreed on everything and without any debate whatsoever, you're delusional. Now, that said, there was somebody, we're not exactly sure who, but we suspect that it was Ben Franklin, was leaking to the local newspaper, the Gazetteer, uh, that things were going great. And the Gazetteer kept printing articles about how everything was great, how everybody was united, and this was so wonderful. But it was a, it was a pure put-up. It was a spin doctoring because behind the scenes, things were really, really getting, uh, you know, rowdy. And by this week in June of 1787, this is when the uh, the excrement hit the rotating circular air moving device, as it were. This was the week where it really first started to look like it may not succeed because there were too many debates and too many arguments about two specific things, only one of which would come up this week. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. And we're back in 60 seconds with more. Dave does history on Bill McLive. Let's talk about something that is uh, another of Dave's favorite Florida topics. It's hurricane season, boys and girls. And with it being such, it's time for you to think about O'Galley Electric, one of our sponsors here on the program. They've got Generac home standby generators in stock and ready for you. Get you ready for the season before the meat of the season. Yes, we're in hurricane season. We know it heats up August, September, October when we really start seeing major threats. But we had a very early storm this year that potentially threatened us. So if you buy this Generac home standby generator now from O'Galley Electric, they've got a uh, free mobile link accessory and an extended 10-year warranty valued over well over $1,000 available for you. Terms and conditions apply. Call O'Galley Electric for details, 321-425-3343. Let them put together the estimate with the right generator for your home that they have in stock at O'Galley Electric, a disabled veteran-owned company and uh, just great folks getting you ready for the storm. Defeat the storm with Generac, Home Standby Generator, and O'Galley Electric. So, Dave, not all was well in Philadelphia. You know, we have a gathering of friends every weekend, and we'll get anywhere from 8 to 14 or so of us in a room together. And if we get above like a six- or seven-person threshold, it ends up being four different conversations going on at the same time. What was this room like in Philadelphia? Well, first off, it was hot. Uh huh. And second off, the shower had not been invented yet. Oh, that's not good. The people say to me all the time, Dave, if you could time travel, where would you go? And everybody assumes I would go to the convention, and I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want to go anywhere near there. <laughs> but it was, uh, you know, there was a reason why they dressed the way they did and did some of the things they did. It was getting hot, and it was about to get even hotter. The first couple, the first four weeks of the convention, and I hope uh, I hope everybody got caught up on that. Um, the Virginia plan, as presented by the Virginians, and we talked about the fact that the Virginians had met in advance, James Madison, Edmund Randolph, and the rest of the Virginia delegation, they presented their, their so-called Virginia plan, which was an idea for consolidated national government. And if you were to re read the Virginia plan, you would see a lot of what ultimately gets approved in there. But you would also see some things in there that really caused major league concern. And the guy that wrote it, James Madison, convinced Edmund Randolph, the governor of state of Virginia, to actually introduce it to the convention. 
So it's Edmund Randolph that actually stands up and presents this Virginia plan to the to the convention. But but he did that three weeks ago. And while the plan is still the only plan really on the table right now, um, Randolph is starting to have some second thoughts about this because he's seeing some of the problems with this with this plan. The smaller states, which is most of them, do not like this plan at all. They see this plan as a an attempt to a simply eradicate them by forming a very strong centralized national government. They believe that it will essentially do away with the sovereignty of the states and that it will essentially subsume them into the will of the bigger states, particularly Virginia and Pennsylvania, which is okay. an interesting uh, dichotomy because, of course, Virginia is a slave state. Pennsylvania isn't. In fact, Pennsylvania is one of the abolitionist states. And yet they're united because as two of the bigger states, they tend to benefit from this. Now, the other big, really big state is, of course, New York. And New York is, as we're going to talk about at some point uh, downstream, New York is really hesitant to get involved with this because of all 13 of the states, New York is the one that is really rocking this. I mean, they their economy is is smoking. They're doing great. They don't really see why they need the rest of you guys. You you guys just go on your own way. We don't need you. And these are individual economies at this point, it's, not a united economy not at just, all. Not just individual economies, individual currencies, individual economic systems. I mean, this is part of the problem. This is part of the problem why we're here is because some states, looking at you, Rhode Island, uh, are manipulating currency to their own benefit. and. It's causing all kinds of problems. It's causing inflation. Of course, there's issues with with debt management, uh, and there's issues with how the economy is affecting the the individual citizens. Massachusetts is seeing this uh, probably worse than anybody else, but it, it, it's a real mess. And and those smaller states look at this Virginia plan, and this is what I go back to about, you know, which which framers' values do you really want? Because both Madison and Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton, were really more in favor of literally doing away with the states, doing away with their state governments, doing away with, with all that, and just forming one big national centralized government. And of course, the small states they don't like that. They see that as destructive to their to their liberties. They see it as scary. How is this any different from from what England tried to do to us? And and why did we fight this war if this is what we're going to come up with? And it's Edmund Randolph who actually says, "Look, preserving states is more important than preserving the union," which absolutely stuns Madison, and he's starting to realize that mm, maybe this Virginia plan isn't going to go anywhere. He lost the governor, huh? Right. But at this point, what else do we've got to do? We don't have another plan yet. Nobody's advanced one. Not yet. Starting tomorrow, they will, though. Oh, that's it. And we'll talk about that as we continue. Dave does history on Bill McLive. Nice to have you along on 92.7 FM WMMB. We're back in moments.
Dave Does History, our weekly journey through the Wayback Machine. Dave Bowman is with us on Bill Nick Live. Gatto's Tire and Auto Service bringing you the hour and uh, opportunity for you to join me July 1st at Premier Theaters at the Oaks. Indiana Jones is back. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. We'll go to that 11 a.m.-ish, uh, 11 a.m. about uh, showing on Saturday, July 1st. We're going to give you and a friend tickets, two medium sodas, and a large popcorn to come and enjoy the movie with me on that uh, Saturday morning. So looking forward to that. Register on the contest page at BillMick.com. I guess they didn't have any movie theaters in Philadelphia at the time either, Dave, so they had to get back down to business. No, in fact, pretty much the only entertainment they had was dinner parties, which they had a lot of. Oh, and yeah? A lot of drinking, a lot of dinner parties. Imagine so. that. Well, we, we we came away in our last segment with the Virginia plan being assailed, but no alternatives being provided to it. So they didn't make a decision yet. What happened next? Well, it, it kind of gets to the point where there's a realization that as Edmund Randolph is bailing on Madison and the Virginia plan, Really, the only unity that they have in this entire convention is that we need to at least discuss other plans. We need to at least have other plans to so that it looks like we're actually debating something instead of just going along with the Virginians. So they have a vote on June 11th to delay approving the Virginia plan. Now, to this point, they've already approved how they're going to ratify things. They've approved how they're going to... Uh, what the conditions are to be a member of the national government, you know, 35 and older for president, uh, the con- well, the Congress they've, they've approved, they haven't approved the presidency yet, but all that stuff's been done. So it's just really this representation issue. How does the actual government look? Is it one house? Is it two houses? Is it three houses? You know, who, re- who sits in those houses? And the Virginia position is that all of these things should be decided uh, by the people. This is a Republican form of government, and this is what they want. So they they realize that the smaller states are never going to go along with this, so they actually vote unanimously to delay the approval of the Virginia plan to allow for different for other plans to be considered. Now, there are actually two other plans that are initially presented. One has actually already been put on the table. That's from South Carolina, and with the exception of a couple of people there who are from South Carolina, everybody is just ignoring this plan because it, this plan is so it's, it's a little, it's, this is oversimplification, but basically the plan from South Carolina from Pickney is we'll go along with anything. As long as you preserve slavery, we don't care about anything else. And so everybody's a sort of ignores that, but the smaller States have been meeting in, in private and they come up with, this week, what's known as the New Jersey plan. Now, the New Jersey plan is different from the Virginia plan in, the, in that it maintains state sovereignty and equal representation for the states and the government. And this is important because the small states really feel like the Virginia plan takes away their equal representation in the government. What he proposes is essentially a revision of the Articles of Confederation, now, this is what many people believe they're there for, 
they Patterson, uh, James Patterson of New Jersey, believes that this is what the American people want is just a revision of the Articles of Confederation. And he believes that this is what they were actually sent there to do, not to revise the entirety of the government. But with the New Jersey plan, there is a huge problem. Well, technically, it's a very small problem, but it's a huge impact problem. And that is that the plan simply cannot be passed because it is, by definition, a revision of the Articles of Confederation. Well, why can't it be passed? I hear you cry. And the answer to that is Rhode Island, which has refused to send delegates to this. And remember that any revision to the Articles of Confederation requires a unanimous vote of all 13 states. And Rhode Island refuses to participate, so the New Jersey plan is actually dead on arrival because Rhode Island votes no, as they always do. They were the little troublemaker, were they not? Our hours being brought to you by Gatto's Tire and Auto Service. You know, I've come to trust Gatto's through the years, and Brevard has trusted them for well over 50 years with three generations of the Gatto's family bringing you quality maintenance, repairs, and tires for your vehicle. Now in six Brevard locations, I use the one across the street from our studios here, an immaculately clean facility, professionally run, and doing a job for you that I appreciate as a non-mechanical guy. They give me honest recommendations for what's going on with my vehicle. Tell me what I can let go for a while, but eventually it catches up to you. So you want to make sure you do this by this particular time. Just great advice and people I've learned to trust because of the quality service they provided all along. That's why for me, I've got to go to Gatto's. You do too. Gatto's Tire and Auto Service. This is our sponsor of Bill McLeod. So the New Jersey plan can't pass because of what it is and Rhode Island being an obstinate little jerk. But there are elements of it that can get into play. It, it, does that become part of the negotiation well, and here, that, Dave? And that's really the issue is the New Jersey plan really focuses on state sovereignty, maintaining the states, and equal representation, which the Virginia plan doesn't guarantee. And that's really the problem. Now, Madison gets upset. He actually launches, imagine an angry James Madison launches into a diatribe about the fact that we have to present a Republican form of government because if we don't, you know, what's the point of being here? A guy by the name of Elbridge Gary, whose name you're familiar with, but you may not know it. Um, we mispronounce his name regularly as Eldridge Jerry, and he is the guy for whom gerrymandering is named. Okay. But, but it's actually Gary. Uh, he stands up after after Madison and says that he will never agree to be ruled by the will of the people. Most framers feared democracy, certainly as a as you know, you would define it as a Greek democracy where everybody gets a vote. They hated that idea. And he actually suggests at the Constitutional Convention in 1787 that they form a quote limited constitutional monarchy, unquote. That America crowns a king and this will work because we can we can form a House of Lords type peerage Congress to oversee the king. But then even as he says that, he starts to realize that that's not going to work because now all you're going to do is having rich people buy their way into the House of Lords, and that's going to defeat the whole purpose of it. And so he actually mm-hmm. sits down and says, there's just no way to do that. As Randolph abandons Madison says the preservations of the states is more important than the union of, of the states. 
he also attacks the whole idea of the participation of the people, which, again, to us is foreign. I mean, we think oh, people, one man, one vote. We, we think this is all about democracy. But he literally goes on the attack about democratic licentiousness, which is the lack of moral restraint. In other words, people voting not based on what's best, but, but, but on what they want. And he refers to the idea that if we go this way, we'll end up with demagogues of the popular branch. In other words, the people who get elected are political leaders who seek support by appealing to the desires and prejudices rather than by rational government. We would never see such a thing. Pretty weird, huh? <laughs> oh, my gosh. But we got to get back to the values of the framers, Bill, because mm -hmm. if we don't, then we're going to lose the country. Mm -hmm. hmm. I, you know, we don't have yet at this point. We don't even have it at this point. And one would have to argue that today we certainly don't have the values of the framers in mind because obviously we didn't do uh, anything that they wanted done. The stress is getting bad, Bill. Stress is getting really, really bad. And in mm -hmm. fact, Alexander Hamilton and a guy we've talked about, Governor Morris, will actually get into a violent debate that Morris is going to win. But how he wins that debate causes one of the most embarrassing moments in all of American history. Oh, can't wait to hear. And we will as we continue with Dave Does History on Bill McLive. Also, in our next segment, we'll let you in with your thoughts, questions, and concerns at 321-768-1240. Maybe you've got the framer in mind that everybody refers to, and maybe you don't. But we'll take that, too, when we come back. anytime on demand or live with your iHeartRadio app. Gatto's Tire and Auto Service bringing you this hour of Dave Does History on Bill McLive. Get your thoughts in play, questions or commentary, 321-768-1240. So we're getting alternative plans offered for this constitution and this form of government, Dave, but nothing is really gelling yet. What's going on now? Nothing is gelling Temperatures are rising, tempers are rising, and the stress is really starting to wear on people. Arguments are happening. How long have they been doing this now? Nah, we're into the fifth week of okay. this. And originally it was supposed to last about a month. And as you know, we're going to end up going five months. In fact, the North Carolina delegation this week will actually send a letter to the governor of North Carolina saying, hey, uh, you need to advance us our pay because we got to pay the hotels. Nobody knows when this is going to end. So people are actually writing. They're, they're having their families join them in Philadelphia because this is obviously going to take a while. And, and it's getting it's getting heated. Two of the people, two of the biggest hotheads at this thing are a guy by the name of Governor Morris, who's just a loudmouth. And he's a he's a bit of a, a cad and a bounder. In fact, he has a wooden leg, probably because he jumped out of a window when he got caught in flagrante with somebody else's wife. Um, and the other one is a guy by the name of Alexander Hamilton. 
the most famous American in the world, right? Because mm-hmm. of the because of the play. Hamilton is an egotist. He is a he is a hothead, and he and Morris have a major disagreement on one of the minor points of this whole thing. And they end up at a dinner party with George Washington. Morris is sitting on one side of Washington. Hamilton is sitting on the other. And remember that Hamilton is one of Washington's best friends, even though they're kind of mad at each other right now. And they are arguing across General Washington. Now, imagine this. Washington may be the most famous man in the world right now. And they are arguing in front of General Washington about some minor point that really, in the big scheme of things, doesn't matter. And Morris actually wins the point, I guess, is the is the best way to put it. He actually wins the debate point, and he feels like he just has to rub this in. Now, remember that General Washington is one of the most formal people you've ever met. He's a very rough-edged guy. General Washington is noted for his, uh, as I like to refer to it, coarse language when he's angry. Mm-hmm. He is a very, but he's a very formal guy. Morris, in jubilation over winning this point against Hamilton, reaches over and yells to the entire dinner party, Hey, ain't I right, General? And smacks him on the back the way you would do if you were drunk or if you were just, you know, seeing somebody you hadn't seen in a while. He just smacks General Washington right in the back. Ain't I right, General? And there is this dead silence because everybody knows that Morris has just crossed the line. And Morris will later write that pretty much I wish I had just died at that moment because winning the point against Hamilton, you know, just sort of faded into existence of the embarrassment of, of smacking General Washington on he the back. So exuberant at winning the argument, or at least the point in the argument that his celebration just killed it all. It killed everything. And, of course, yeah. this doesn't help the relationship between um, Hamilton and Morris and the convention. But this is the kind of stress that everybody's under. Elbridge Gary, the guy we talked about a few minutes ago, actually writes a letter this week as things are getting really hot. The small states are actually talking, Bill. They are actually talking about going their own way forming alliances with foreign powers and allowing foreign troops onto their soil because they don't trust the big states, Virginia, Pennsylvania, so forth and so on. He actually writes a letter to one of his associates in which he uses this words. Now, again, remember, we think that this was simple. We think that this was united. We think that this was, you know, divinely inspired, all those things that we think about and we take for granted. But he actually writes this week, quote, unless a system of government is adopted by compact, that is agreement, force, I expect, will plant the standard. In other words, unless we get to an agreement pretty soon, this whole thing is going to blow up and we're going to have another war which will enforce a government on or everybody. And that's really what they believe in the second week of June of 1787. Chateau Madeline, one of our sponsors on Bill McLive. You've got a senior loved one. You're looking for that alternative living situation for them for whatever reason. 
you'll want to take a look at Chateau Madeline. It's resort-style senior living and memory care, centrally located in the county in Suntree, locally owned. Their website, SuntreeSeniorLiving.com. It'll give you a pretty good idea. But do yourself and that senior loved one a favor. Take a tour. Call 321-701-8000 and go see for yourself what Chateau Madeline's about. The amenities like you'd find on a cruise ship or resort. A staff very similar in their love of interaction with the residents at Chateau Madeline. And a place where life can get better with a real beautiful home with first-class nursing care. Locally owned, centrally located. Yeah, your senior loved one deserves a home like Chateau Madeline. We appreciate their sponsorship here on Bill Mick Live. So, Dave, it, we're not close to coming together yet, are we? Oh, God, no. We're not even we're not even in the same time zone. Now, we've agreed that whatever form this government takes, the representatives of the country have to be 25 years of age, seven years of citizen. That we're all in agreement on. But beyond that, we just oh, and, and if we have to make any changes to it, we've agreed on how we're going to make those changes. You know, the 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 Congress will have to vote on it. The state has to be ratified by three fourths of the state. We've agreed on all that simple okay. things. But really, the dividing the two dividing issues in this nation in 1787 were representation. How are we going to have this representation? Because if you take away the small states' representation equal representation, equal suffrage, as they would have called it, how do, you, how do you convince them that they're full participants in the government? Yeah, because they'll be there to do the bidding of the bigger states, right? It's just going to be whatever the bigger states decide. you got to live with it. And everybody sees those bigger states as basically Virginia. Now, there's a couple of others, obviously, Pennsylvania and North Carolina, but, but Virginia is really the dominating force. In America, even though it should technically be New York, New York just kind of wants to be left alone. (coughs) Because things are going so well there at the time. Right. Under Clinton. And, of course, the other issue is slavery. The, you know, from Thomas Jefferson's comments during the Declaration of Independence, we we all hate it, but nobody knows what to do about it. And, And this is one of the other arguments I get into all the time. People say to me, well, if I'd have been there in 1787, I would have done it differently. No, you wouldn't have. You, nobody in 1787 had any clue how to solve slavery. Um, the Three-Fifths Compromise is actually a direct lift from the Articles of Confederation. It wasn't something that the convention even really debated. It was just a, this is how we've been doing it, and we'll continue to do this because literally no one knows how to solve it. Seems to be working so far, we're going to keep it. Well, it keeps us from having to argue about it. Because if we'd had to argue about it, this would have broken up in a hurry. And in fact, there are members of this convention who will later uh, go on the attack against slavery, try to ban slavery as part of the process. But at the end of the day, you have to, you know, you have to say, well, without a union, we're never going to get rid of slavery. So we have to have the union in order to accomplish that at some indeterminate point in the future via some method which nobody has any idea what is. Mm-hmm. But if we try to solve it now, we're not going to have that union. And we're going to have foreign troops on the on the land because you know, some of these states, Delaware becomes one of the one of the worst offenders at this, is really they're going to go out and make foreign alliances with with people we fought wars with. <laughs> and and 
oh, by the way, we owe France a lot of money. And we owe our soldiers in the Revolutionary War soldiers a lot of money. And if we don't pay those things, you know, the, the states aren't going to do it. So we've got to get all these problems solved. And, and like I said, there's this myth that this was easy, simple, direct. And it, it was none of those things. And in fact, so Dave, as you look at this and you've looked at this probably more in depth than most of us in this audience. Are you surprised that they came to a successful conclusion as far as this convention goes surprised only in the sense that they they actually managed to put something down on paper um no i'm not really surprised that they did because they had a much different understanding of civility than we do today we could never do this today it would never that was going to be my next yeah, question no. could we do this today? no absolutely not there's there's no way this is the same reason that article 5 convention won't work there's too many disparate interests, and the overriding interest of the convention was we have to be a union. We have to – this is Lincoln. We have to preserve the union. Without the union, we can't do anything. But we don't have that mentality today. We don't have that understanding today, and part of that is because we don't have the same vision of state sovereignty that they had. We don't see that as a necessity uh, to maintain those things because we have a very strong centralized government that has literally subsumed the states anyway, which is, of course, what Madison and Hamilton both wanted all along. So when you say you want the values of the framers, um, you know, you might want to be Pick careful. One. Yeah. Pick one and run with it. Right. Because because if it's Madison and Hamilton, well, you got what you wanted. Ultimately. Yeah, that's an interesting point. You also said something interesting during your podcast, I think it was what the frock as opposed to uh, yesterday's that um, had to do with this very topic that, that recovering the country uh, from our perspective here doesn't appear possible to you. I don't know how we could do it. And this is kind of depressing to me because again, we don't understand these things. We don't, we, we because we on the, for lack of a better term, the, the, the political right, we assume that this was easy, straight, direct, divinely inspired. And so we never really study what went into it. We never really understand or study the compromises that had to be made. And so we become very, you know, ideological, ideologically pure. And we put those tests on things and we're not willing to compromise. We're not willing to accept that what is the the big goal union and can what can i sacrifice or compromise on to get to that big goal because i'm not going to be able to solve any of these problems without that and we don't have that mentality we don't have that attitude it's our way or no way and that's uh, that's not going to work certainly so in the constitution no art of compromise anymore making no. us the divided place that we are we can't figure out that Win the big one, and and you do it through a series of things. Right. We're more interested in smacking George Washington on the back and saying, ain't I right, General, than we are in actually. <laughs> there is a lot of that. Yeah. There really is. We don't want to build a consensus. We we want to be right. And I think that that's, uh, that's not a good thing. Now, how do we fix that? <sighs> that is the million-dollar question, isn't it? Follow the Moms for Liberty Roadmap, at least as a starter. That's going to get you to where you can at least have the discussion. By the way, you've got new big bibliography items in your bibliography posted at BillMick.com. 
Yeah, we've added uh, three things that we're using for this uh, constitutional convention thing. We've, we've The National Park Service has a fantastic website that goes by day, day by day, but it's also very basic. It doesn't get into you know details. Uh, there's a couple of books that I put on there. But we got to leave it there. It's been brought to you by Gatto's Tire and Auto Service. David, I'm glad you're back. We'll talk next week. All right, man. We'll see you then.